Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and I know it's been a minute since the last time you and I have spoken, and I want to thank you so much for following the Thrive Bites podcast. And I just want to let you know that there's good reason for that, and let me explain. In almost six months, I've been working tirelessly and diligently to helping people near and far during this tumultuous year that we've had from 2020 into 2021. And I said to myself, what more can I do to inspire and impact others? And you guys know me, I'm all about thriving. I'm all about thriving from a emotional, mental, and physical standpoint. That is the reason why I wrote Thrive Medicine. And that is the reason why I started this podcast called Thrive Bites. And so I decided that I wanted to put together a virtual summit experience, gathering over 50 speakers. That includes physicians, dietitians, fitness experts, coaches, and spanning over five pillars in teaching someone else on learning how to thrive. And I call this the Thrive Formula. The five pillars consist of food as medicine, functional fitness, relationships, community, and resilience. And the reason why I've chosen to do this is because I really wanted to give more tools, more education, and more inspiration. And letting people know that they're not alone and they don't have to be ill-equipped for life and whatever life throws at you, whether it's a curveball, whether it's an obstacle, whether it's a roadblock. And I worked really hard to provide this and I'm happy to announce that it is fully released and it's fully accessible. And you may ask yourself, who is this for and what does it consist of? This is for the individual that prioritizes their health and wellness and also wants to take charge of their own well-being. It's also for the healthcare professional and the healthcare professional student because I wanted to create a summit experience that I wish I could have had when I was in school. The summit experience has over 50 plus hours plus more ranging from culinary demonstrations to fitness demonstrations to scientific medical sessions. And we answer questions like, what is Whole Foods plant-based cooking? How do I start cooking back in my kitchen? What affects my brain, gut, and immune health? What are the tools for my own emotional and mental well-being? How can I be more of service and lead by example? What kind of nutrition do I need to give my children nowadays? To how do I navigate self-doubt, self-sabotage, my inner critic? to what are the best physical movements to increase my mobility, strength, flexibility, and function. And one of my favorites is how do I create more joy, contentment, and happiness in my own life? This summit also works like a masterclass series where you get to learn and further your education. And I do this by providing quizzes with every session and I provide workbooks. And there's also recipes and very, very special speaker bonuses. You'll also have the opportunity to join a private Facebook community to further your growth and connect with like-minded individuals. So if this resonates with you, please join us on this journey to further yourself and take back 2021 and beyond. You can find us at thethriveformula.co. That's T-H-E-T-H-R number five, formula.co. And come on inside and I'll see you in there. Cheers. Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. 
On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys, welcome to the Thrive Bites podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. This is a podcast meant to give you three things, and that teaching on how to live a plant power lifestyle, enhancing our emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And today, I have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Chef AJ, and she has been devoted to a plant-exclusive diet for over 43 years. She's the host of the television series Healthy Living with Chef AJ, which airs on Foodie TV. She's not only a chef, but she's also an instructor, a professional speaker, and author of the popular book, Unprocessed, How to Achieve Vibrant Health and Your Ideal Weight. And this chronicles her journey from an obese junk food vegan faced with a diagnosis of precancerous polyps to learning how to create foods that nourish and heal the body as well. Her latest best-selling book, The Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss, a revolutionary approach to conquer cravings, overcome food addiction, and lose weight without going hungry, has received glowing endorsement by many luminaries in the plant-based movement. So without further ado, please welcome Chef AJ. Hello. (laughs) How's it going? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending the time, uh, spending your energies, and spending your continued enthusiasm with us today here on the podcast. It is my pleasure. You know, I don't know if you know how I even found you. Do you know that story? I think you found me through social media. I think it was through Instagram, oh, right? Exactly. I, and not exactly. I did I did contact you there, but what it was is I host some summits and I was hosting a summit on GI health. And one of the guests was a doctor named a uh, Dr. Uh, Uma Naidu. Mm. And so when I have to interview a guest, in addition to reading their book, I like to listen to everything I can find. So I just went to podcast and I put in her name and apparently you had interviewed her. So I listened to the interview and I said, well, who is this guy and who is the <laughs> podcast? And that's what got me to find out about you. Well, she is a lovely, lovely individual. And I'm very glad that, you know, we've been, you know, have been connected. And isn't it crazy how... Um, crazy and not so crazy, right? You know, pre-pandemic and now with the pandemic, how these are the evolving ways of connecting with people. Um, very interesting times that we are in. Yeah, and I, yeah, I'm enjoying them actually. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not the pandemic part, of course, but just the meeting people I might have otherwise not met if my life was business as usual. Yeah, definitely. And um, it is a great opportunity to meet people you wouldn't have crossed paths with, like you said, and, uh, you know, just very innovative ways. So, um, but I am very glad to uh, have you on the show with us today. And, you know, you have built a very large network. Um, you do what you do for so many, so many years, and you have developed a great following. Um, and, you know, for us, you know, we love to learn more about people. We love learning about their stories and how they get from point A to point Z. So to kind of 
orient our audiences to you who may not know you and your work, can you share a little bit about you know, your story in terms of how you came about into being immersed in the culinary world, but the culinary world where you are dedicated and so devoted to improving other people's lives through your personal experience? Sure, absolutely. So it was almost 20 years ago when I was 43 years old that it first came to my awareness that what we eat actually matters. So for the first 43 years of my life, I basically did what most people do. You eat what you like, regardless of consequences of health, environment, or animals. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that for animals, because I actually did become vegan in 1977 when I was 17 for ethical reasons. But for the most part, I didn't really give a thought what I put in my mouth, because as you know, as a, as a doctor, you're not given a lot of medical, in medical school, you're not given a lot of nutritional training. And it, you know, there's a lot of confusion around nutrition. So it was never really anything I thought about, you know, you just, if you liked it, you ate it kind of thing. And when I was 43 years old, I woke up on New Year's Day bleeding from what they now call edematous or precancerous polyps. So my, my colon was riddled with these polyps. And I have a strong family history of colon cancer. I have a grandmother that died of it, an uncle who had 80% of his colon removed all kinds of bowel disease in my family. My mom died of a bowel obstruction. My grandmother had diverticulitis. So, you know, it's strong family history. And so I of course, I was alarmed. And when I had my, actually, they wouldn't even do a colonoscopy because I had mm. an MO and they said, oh, well, it wasn't your mother or father. So it's not a first degree relative. We're just going to do a sigmoidoscopy, which I'm told they don't really do very much anymore because it doesn't go far enough up. But even so, with the sigmoidoscopy, they discovered that my colon was riddled with these precancerous polyps. But they couldn't remove them because my colon, as the doctor said, was too dirty. That's not what mm. you want because it was in a state of disarray. Even though I had done that horrible prep, after eating junk for 43 years and basically eating no fruits and vegetables, he couldn't get a clean shot to remove the polyps and you can't risk infection. So he said, well, we'll just, you know, you'll have to have surgery. And I'm like, no, I won't. <laughs> That's like my number one fear. In, well, actually, surgery isn't my number one fear in life. My number one fear is general anesthesia. I have an actual phobia because when mm. I was years old, I went into the hospital for what was going to be a same day operation. I was allergic to the anesthetic. I woke up with a team of respiratory therapists resuscitating me with an ambu bag. And there was mm. a ventilator right there. And I used to be a respiratory therapist. And like, I do not want to go on a ventilator. That is like mm. my biggest fear. Luckily, I started breathing. But because of the allergic reaction to the anesthetic, I was in the hospital instead of six hours, six weeks. And I always retained that fear of surgery and anesthesia. I said, well, no, thank you. So I didn't know what to do. So I went to a place called the Optimum Health Institute in San Diego or Lemon Grove, actually, really just to give myself some time to think because, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do. And the funny thing was, is I had already been vegan for 26 years. And it's mm -hmm. like, how can I have the beginning of colon cancer? I'm vegan. Doesn't that, isn't that prevent everything? Well, no, it doesn't because I wasn't a whole food vegan. I wasn't a healthy vegan. I wasn't eating fruits and vegetables. So it was just a miracle that I found this place. I actually found it. It was funny. It was a, it was a spa magazine, a discounted spa magazine. Cause I don't mm -hmm. I always wanted to go to Rancho La Puerta, which is actually a place I teach now, but I couldn't afford it. This place was $850 a week. And I'm like, well, I can afford that. So I went there and little did I know that it was going to change my life because it's the first time that anyone, especially healthcare professionals like doctors and nurses said that what we eat actually has a profound effect on 
on everything, on what we look like, how we feel, but most importantly, what diseases we get and what diseases we can ultimately reverse. And people were coming there with diseases that I think were much more serious than mine. They had lupus and Lyme's disease and brain cancer, and they were all getting well. And I'm like, well, this is going to be a piece of kale for me because I don't really have cancer yet. They're just calling it pre-cancer. And as long as they get rid of these polyps, I should be fine. So basically it's, it's whole food plant-based there with no sugar, oil, salt, but it's also raw and it's not very calorically dense. So, so what I'm saying is it's more of a healing place or a detox place. I don't know if you could like stay forever on that plan, but it was incredible. There were actors there and movie stars and, and NFL players. There's people from mm. all over the world. It was really, it really an interesting experience. And, you know, we'd go to these classes and we'd learn all the things that now I know and I'm starting to teach things that I never knew things that like, I remember asking a doctor in my twenties, I said, you know, I think I'm a sugar addict. Oh, that's impossible as he drank his tab, you know, <laughs> and I, I still, I'm old enough to remember when doctors would smoke and actually wow. like smoke in their office. Like, I mean, that's how old Office, I hospitals. Yeah. So, so, so it was really wonderful that the experience I had there and what I learned and I, I followed the diet that they gave, which was, it's very similar to the one I have now, except I'm not raw. I do eat starch. I eat cooked, cooked vegetables, cooked potatoes, you know, gra grains, legumes, that kind of thing. So it was raw, but it was, it was out without sugar, oil, salt, or flour, or alcohol, or caffeine, or chocolate. And uh, six months after that, I had gone back to my HMO and I asked for another, well, I asked for colonoscopy. I kept asking. He wouldn't give it. But they gave me another sigmoidoscopy. But this time, the results were different. And the funny thing was, is it was the same gastroenterologist doing it. So he had my chart. And they actually take photos when they're in your colon with a camera of the polyps so they know how big they are and where they are. And he told me that my, my, my colon was clear. It was clean. It was pink. He said it was vascular like a newborn baby. And he said, where did you have the surgery? And I'm like, I didn't have surgery. I told you I'm afraid of surgery. He goes, well, how do you account for the fact of what I'm seeing now. I said, well, you know, I, I, I changed my diet. And he goes, oh, that's impossible. And he storms out of the room and a nurse, or maybe she was a GI doctor, I don't remember, but she had an accent as if she was from India. And I remember really, she said, once he was gone, she was, I believe you. <laughs> and so right there, like Oprah calls, the light bulb went off and I'm like, whoa, nobody ever told me this. And that's weirdly when I immersed myself in the nutritional science and the cooking. Cause right after that, I went to culinary school. I took a leave of absence from my job. I was actually an activity director at a retirement home. And, and, and it wasn't because I was trying to be a chef. It was like, I, the food's going to have to taste better than it did at OHI. You can do anything for a short time, like a healing diet or a cleanse, but I could not maintain that diet. I knew I couldn't. So I went to culinary school just to learn how to make things taste better. And then mm. I really liked it so much that I, I switched careers at the age of 43. That's awesome. Yeah, I was about to say, is it because they didn't have enough flavoring? Is it bland or the presentation just didn't look appetizing enough for you? You know, okay. So there, if I had gone, if I go there today, if I ever did go back, I probably would love the food, but realize I was coming from 43 years of junk eating. 26 of them as a vegan. I was used to having Coke Slurpees for breakfast with eight pumps of vanilla syrup, Dr. Peppers for lunch. Nothing really tasted good to me. I didn't understand the concept of neuroadaptation or neurological adaptation. So it really wasn't their fault that I didn't like the food. It was because my palate was just a mess. So I probably would like it a lot better now. But also, 
I mean, I think raw diets can be good for some people, but you know, I, I use a principle and I know you do too, because I interviewed you for my summit. And you understand about caloric density. If you're going to eat hundred percent raw, unless you're willing to eat a lot of the higher fat foods, like the nuts, seeds, and avocados, you're going to have to eat a lot of volume. And at a certain point, at the end of the day, you get tired of chewing. So for me, having starches like cooked potatoes and sweet potatoes and whole grains like rice and quinoa and millet, for me, it just feels like it works better than just eating fruits and vegetables all day. I'm not saying that that's not healthy. I know people that do it, but man, I do love my starch. So for me, that was, I think the missing was I prefer my calories from starch than from fat. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of um, the patients that I counsel, you know, they, their concepts, you know, when I'm trying to teach them to eat more plants, right. Whether, and I, I'm a family, you know, practice, you know, physician, and I meet everyone from a, you know, carnivore to an extreme vegan and everyone in between. And, you know, my thing is to be able to eat more plants. And a lot of people, when they think of, you know, plant food, they think of a salad or steamed vegetables and just things that are very, very bland and without flavor or imagination. And so that is huge, you know, especially from a culinary perspective, you want to be able to make it, you know, flavorful and appetizing and presentable. So, uh, you know, that's why I asked, you know, what was it like? Because something must have turned you off, but you had such great motivation because your health was in stake, right? You, you know, you, you needed to, you knew that you needed to be there, but you're like, oh man, you know, this could have been better. <laughs> no, I think it was just, I wasn't getting enough calories is what it was. And I remember when I went back for a second week, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for healing anymore. You got to give me more food. And they gave me a half an avocado a day. And that did make a difference. And, you know, cause you couldn't have contraband there. If you brought food and you got kicked out. So, oh, wow. so yeah. But I mean, I think it's a great place, you know, and I, I hadn't yet heard about the True North Health Center, which probably would have been an equally wonderful experience to go for healing. You know, it, nobody ever said that processed food was unhealthy to me mm -hmm. uh, up, up until then, you know, the sugar and flour that, that this isn't food. And now there's so much information out there with people like books from Dr. David Kessler and Michael Moss that, that, that processed food is not only unhealthy, but it's addictive. And when you're when you're a food addict, which I was, or at least a sugar addict, you know, whole natural food at first doesn't taste very good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it's the combination of, you know, understanding the flavorings, you know, how to pair things, you know, which groups would, you know, also create satisfying feelings and whatnot. And, and also food is not just food, right? You know, there's a lot of layers to it. There's an emotional component to it. There's a cultural component to it. Uh, I remember when I was, uh, you know, when we were seeing each other for, uh, you know, being on each other's summit, I asked you, what is your favorite, uh, uh, food as a child, because you have a Jewish background, right? And, and from that, you know, could you make something more plant-based based off of that? Do you remember that? Yeah, and you can, because I remember, I mean, as crazy as it is for somebody that's been vegan for so long, I remember my grandmother's chopped liver. And you can, with walnuts and, and green beans, there's ways to make plants taste like liver, if you yeah. like liver. So it, I don't know anything that can't really be done anymore in the plant-based world. I mean, they're making eggs and cheese and all kinds of meat. It's, it's, it, I mean, this, this has never been a better time to be plant-based. It is, it is. And I'm sure, you know, from your eyes, you know, and having traverse, you know, you know, before vegan was a thing, you know, back in the day, and now it's so, you know, popular and ingrained in our uh, mental society, uh, you know, you had to be more innovative. You had to be, you had to, 
you know, have creative ways to be able to, not just for your health, because this, you know, you were doing it for your health first before you became, you know, a, a culinary instructor and teaching the masses. So, um, so, you know, what were your, over your journey, um, you know, because we can go, you know, hours upon hours and you have such a colorful uh, uh, backstory, you know, what were the major pain points, you know, during your journey? And what were the major lessons that you've learned that, hey, you know, what I'm doing is not just temporary. Uh, what I'm doing is not just short term, because when people think of diets, you know, they think of, okay, maybe I can just do this for this little period of time. And then I can get back to where I was. What were the pain points for you that, you know, really became the sticking points for you to really continue and make it sustainable? Now, there, there's a few. And what you what you say is absolutely true. When somebody's trying to affect permanent dietary and lifestyle change, if what they're doing isn't permanent, it, it it, or isn't sustainable, it won't be permanent. So I remember, I, so I graduated culinary school in 2003. And shortly thereafter, I started teaching cooking at, at various culinary schools, but also at, at Whole Foods. And I remember teaching at the big store, they one of their newer stores in Pasadena, where I had like 77 people, which was really good for that. That store kept having me like, you're getting so many people because I am, a, I think my recipes taste good. And I think I'm a, I'm a good articulator of the information and a, a good culinary instructor. And I'm, I don't even remember what recipe I'm doing. But in, in the middle of the class, a, a gentleman in, I shouldn't say gentleman, because he wasn't, what he said wasn't very gentlemanly, but I remember <laughs> he can. And I just assumed he was going to ask a question on the recipe. He goes, if the vegan diet's so good, why are you so fat? And, you know, now I take stand-up comedy and improv and I have a, a catchy comeback, you know, that I can say like, oh, you know, I think it must have been something I ate, sir. But I was like pretty shocked, you know, but and like, you know, I didn't, I don't even remember. But and it wasn't even so much that I, my feelings were hurt because part of me was like, yeah, I don't know. Why am I so fat? Because I was almost 200 pounds at five foot six and I was vegan. I didn't know. I didn't know, you know. And so that kind of always stuck in my head, like, am I so fat? You know, cause I didn't understand calorie density basically. Right. And so the, the other big wake up call after the, the one with the colon cancer scare is in 2000, the year 2000, shortly before my 50th birthday, I had a slip and fall accident in an, in an office building. It was mm. caught on camera. So it was very obvious that the person mopping the floor just didn't put the sign up. And mm. I, I felt I got a really bad break in my knee. And when I went to the emergency room, uh, they gave me crutches and I couldn't use them because I was too fat and mm. I had body strength. And so they tried to give me a walker and I couldn't use it. And so I uh, had to get in a wheelchair. And it's very humbling to be in a wheelchair for three or four months, especially if you've never been in one. I mean, there were some, there were some, I don't want to say perks to being in a wheelchair, but, but it's interesting because I, I do remember some positive things about being in the wheelchair. Like I remember I was shopping at Whole Foods once. People are very polite to you for like, obviously. <laughs> so people um, were very polite, but I remember uh, I, I had run into an actor from a show that I liked. And normally it's not that I'm shy, but I generally respect uh, other people's privacy, but I really like this actor. And somehow being in the wheelchair, I felt like he wasn't going to, not that he would be mean to me, but, but you know, you never know what you're going to get. And right. I'm, I remember feeling like I could talk to anybody because I'm just, I, I don't know. It was just, I just remember being a little bit more outgoing in the wheelchair. Yeah. And I found that people were very helpful, like when I would go shopping. And so, so, so that I, I remember that, but, but the part that I didn't like so much was that I couldn't take care of my own uh, activities of daily living, like, you know, going to the restroom, you know, bathing and, um, and dressing. And the thing is with back then we couldn't afford, you know, home care. So my husband had to do it. And it was kind of embarrassing. Mm. And 
I mean, you know, it's not what I signed up for. That's not what I wanted. And so I kept saying, you know, as soon as I'm out of this chair, I'm really going to do something about this weight. And so I did. And what I did is I went to the next place that was part of my healing journey, the True North Health Center, where I really learned what it is I teach today, which at the end of the day is calorie density. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, is even if somebody didn't want to be vegan or plant-based, the calorie density approach never fails. And it's, it's, it's different than counting calories. It's, people have to really understand the work of Dr. Barbara Rolls. But once I really understood it, and the funny thing is, is I had books already on my shelf on calorie density. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ornish's book, Eat More, Weigh Less. I had Dr. McDougall's book, The McDougall Program for Maximum Weight Loss. But I really needed to be sit down, sat down by the doctors, Dr. Lyle and Dr. Goldhammer. I, I just needed it explained to me almost one-on-one. And once I did that, you know, the weight just came off. And it's been almost 10 years now as a slender person after living as an obese person for 50 years. And so, so you know, as much as I didn't like uh, the accident, because I do have knee problems today, and I'm not having surgery, trust me. Is the, I, knee, is the knee feeling better? I mean, it's a lot better. And that's the thing, you know, people say, oh, you're too thin, you know, you look better 10 pounds heavier. I said, I may have looked better to you 10 pounds heavier, but my knee disagrees because mm. we, for every pound you're overweight, it's about five pounds or more to your knee. So I need to be lean to not have knee pain. It's mostly better, but uh, there are times I'm playing pickleball or something. I know something's wrong, but I'm not, I'm not getting it fixed because my, my goal is to live the rest of my life without any, I just want to die in my, <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I don't want that anesthesia. I don't want to go under the, it's because it's mainly the anesthesia, right? That's really what I'm afraid of. And of course, I don't want operations without anesthesia. I'm not saying that. But the thing is, when it came to my knee, I forgot to tell you, I had three consults. Nobody would do it without a general. I couldn't get a doctor that would do it with like a local or whatever. I said, forget mm. it. I'm too, I'm too scared. And, you know, it's funny because I just have a friend now that actually had a stroke from a knee surgery from a blood clot. Yeah. And like, it's like, you know, people... Stuff. I mean, this stuff is life saving at times, but it's not without risk. And I am yep. very risk adverse. I am one of these people that is very risk adverse. And so, so, but so, in a way, it's a good thing because I, I mean, I always wondered why I was overweight and what I should do about it because diets don't work. I mean, you can only do diets for a short period of time, uh, but calorie density did work and, and eating. And, and also, I learned another layer at the True North Health Center, which again, it's not for everybody because one of the things I, I tell people, Dr. Zhu, is if they want, if they really want to change, is is do the least restrictive program that they can do to get them the results they seek. The thing is, is people that have struggled for a long time with weight and food addiction often can't do like a more liberal program that like maybe a 20 year old just finding out about plant-based nutrition can do. So what they do a little bit differently at the True North Health Center, which when I think about it, they did at Optimum Health, they just didn't say it, is they do the SOS free version of a whole food plant-based diet. They do one completely without sugar, oil, and salt. And also there is no flour or alcohol or caffeine or chocolate. But for people that have trouble not overeating, getting rid of the sugar, the oil, and the salt, it just, it makes it really easy if people can do it. Not everybody will be able to do it, but those that do seem to have really great results because all three of those things just stimulate your appetite and make it harder to not overeat. So, you know, it's never easy at the beginning making any kind of change, but when you understand, you know, your why, they, they say the why that makes you cry. I did not want my husband taking care of me like that. I don't, I mean, I'm kind of an independent person and private. Um, I just, you know, I don't like being based. <laughs> I just, I know for some people that might sound like a great thing, but I'm like my dog Bailey, not just. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure you, you know, you're, I mean, I, I, I've met 
met him, uh, you know, off camera and, you know, he's such a wonderful guy. And I'm sure that, you know, when push comes to shove, no pun intended, you know, it's, uh, you know, he would be there, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But it's also important to feel like, hey, I can do things for myself and, you know, I can be independent and, you know, just the feelings and the notions of being in a wheelchair or, you know, being in the crutches and needing someone else to assist you can be for some people, you know, de debilitating on a deeper level, you know what I'm saying? So I totally get that, you know? Yeah. But yeah. It, was, it was interesting to see the other side and I'm very, I'm very, I mean, I, I hope I didn't offend anybody that's disabled in any way. I mean, it was, it was an interesting experience, you know, and uh, just to, to see it from another, you know, I, cause like on one hand, you don't want to like just assume the person needs help, but you want to be there if they do need help, so yeah. speak, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. On my podcast, we talk about eating and cooking and living from a whole food, plant-based approach. And between my patients, clients, and my audience listeners, I get a lot of questions of, hey doc, how do I get started on how to set up a kitchen? Or what should I buy? What should I make? Is there something beyond a salad, broccoli, and a smoothie? I know in our fast-paced life and during a pandemic, it is much more challenging to be able to teach yourself and learning how to cook. And so I partner up with Listenable, who is a leader in audio educational courses that are bite-sized. And I went ahead and created a course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And in this course, I put in my best tips, tools, and tricks on everything that I've learned on how to get someone started to eating more plants, getting healthier for you and your family. I talk about how to set up your kitchen from the pantry to the fridge, to the freezer, to how to navigate the supermarket, to what kind of utensils and appliances one needs to have, to what do we need to make, how to meal prep, what kind of cooking techniques there are, and what exactly is whole foods plant-based. And I'm able to make this course over 10 lessons. Each of those lessons are less than 10 minutes long. And you'll be able to finish this in an hour. You could even do it while commuting, exercising, or even walking your dog. And in addition, you can choose from over 3,000 plus original audio lessons created by well-loved experts. Just use the coupon code ColinZhu, C-O-L-I-N-Z-H-U, on Listenable.io, and you'll be able to get 30% off a year of Listenable. So definitely check that out in the show notes, and check out the course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And I'll see you there. Thanks for listening. And now back to Thrive Bites. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. And going back to the knee, it's, you know, I see a lot of knee pain, you know, osteoarthritis, uh, you know, walking through my door in addition to low back pain. It's like one of the top three reasons people come in. And a lot of times, you know, people can't really put two and two together that it's their diet and lifestyle. The combination of the two, you know, has led to, you know, a certain uh, body habitus, you know, for them to exert pressure, cause inflammation, cause the, you know, the bone cartilage, everything in between the breakdown. And, you know, I think our healthcare system, 
Uh, it's very necessary, you know, for some conditions to have medications to surgery, life-saving, and we're very fortunate for that, but not necessarily the best solution for every ailment, you know what I'm saying? So going back to what you're saying about the polyps and, you know, about your knee, um, you know, if we're able to have a healthier lifestyle, we could, you know, actually get it to be very, very, you know, in a very good stable condition, if not actually, you know, uh, you know, reverse a lot of different things. So... That's the other thing is that a lot of doctors will still tell you that, no, if you have this condition, it's permanent. It's, it's not just because just because they haven't reversed them with the methods that they have doesn't mean it's irreversible for you. Yeah, exactly. And going back to what you mentioned before, it's absolutely true. You know, up to I think a recent survey says up to 25% of medical schools actually require a, a nutritional course in our medical school curricula. And we mainly, you know, at least my experience, we dove really deeply into how drugs work and how disease process come about not so much about how to maintain good health and how to maintain wellness. And there, ergo, we didn't have that much nutritional slash lifestyle curricula. And so, you know, that's why I went down the route that I went down, you know, um, if I had enough, I wouldn't have gone down and we probably wouldn't be talking right now. So, um, so let's go, go deeper into, um, you know, you call the SOS or the SOS, AF, right? <laughs> I'm trying to remember the acronyms. All right. So I didn't put another acronym out there, but what was happening is I was teaching an SOS free diet, sugar, oil, salt. I don't know if it was coined by Dr. Goldhammer or someone else in the natural hygiene or national health movement, but people weren't understanding it because when they were taking my program, they understood what sugar was and what oil was and salt was, but they were still eating a lot of bread and flour products and drinking alcohol. And I said, I said to Dr. Goldhammer, I said, they're not getting it. He goes, well, of course, refined sugar includes alcohol and flour. I go, well, not to the people I'm working with. So I added the A for alcohol and the F for flour, and I call it sofas free, sugar, oil, flour, alcohol, salt. And I, I say, if you want to be healthy and lose weight, get off the sofas, literally get off the sofa and exercise and get off the chemicals of sugar, oil, flour, alcohol, salt. Because I like the way that Dr. Goldhammer explains that those really aren't food. I mean, sugar is not a food. Fruit's a food, but sugar's not. Oil's not a food. Nuts and seeds and avocado and olives are a food. Flour's not a food. Whole grains are a food. Alcohol is not a food. It's a drug. And salt's really not a food because none of these are found in nature in any concentrated form. They're all highly processed. And for people that are prone to having vulnerabilities towards food addictions, these are these are things that, as Dr. Goldhammer says, fool the brain satiety mechanisms that exponentially cause people to overeat their appetite stimulants. And they're also, with the exception of salt, very calorically dense. And so I just, I call it sofas free so that people understand that flour for people that suffer from, from refined food addiction is the same as sugar because sugar and flour go through the same refining process as drugs and alcohol. So I, I mean, if I had, if I had two more letters, I'd put the caffeine and the chocolate in, but so is enough. Oh no. <laughs> a lot, a lot, of, a lot of audiences are dropping. Their drops. I know, but it's, again, it's not for everybody to realize most of the people I'm working with are people like me that were overweight or obese for most of their life for me over 50 years that suffer from really what some may say is end stage food addiction. That's why I say you do the least restrictive program that you can do, but that will also give you the results you seek. Yeah. 
And what's interesting is that, you know, I've done presentations with food addiction and, you know, even in the DSM-5, it's not even a legit uh, diagnosis. It's not even existent, you know? Um, so, and I, I find that to be very disturbing because, you know, we have plenty of, you know, uh, research that shows that, you know, it does the same thing, you know, with Coke and, you know, all these different uh, highly addictive, you know, drugs that, you know, we, we have the research, we have the results for, but uh, I, I really believe that, you know, food is going to be the next wave of tackling every type of epidemic, whether it's, you know, the obesity to even the pandemic, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, interrelationships between food and, you know, how, you know, gut health and immune system and how we process and, you know, avoid invaders like viruses, you know what I'm saying? So it's not separate ideas and concepts. They all are part of the whole. And like you were saying, it's the processing. You're taking what mother nature had it attendant to strip it down to its components. And guess what? You know, it's going to have, you know, detrimental effects. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, from a culinary perspective, what does that do for for our palate, you know, for our taste buds? Um, I had the pr uh, privilege of uh, interviewing Chef uh, Ramsey Bravo, and, uh, you know, he was able to share, and I know you know him as well, um, but I wanted to, you know, uh, hear it from you, you know, from a culinary perspective, you know, what is it like to cook um, you know, with the sugar and the salt and the oils. And then when you take it out, like what, what does it do? Well, it makes the food incredibly bland. If you're somebody that is used to eating sugar, oil, and salt, or if, or especially a lot of it, but there's so many ways to make up for that missing salt is probably arguably the hardest for everybody. Even if they don't feel like salt is a big thing to them, even people say, well, I'm a sugar addict, but I don't get it. It's really hard to go without salt. You know, we're genetically hardwired to prefer the taste of sugar, fat, and salt for survival. But in, in, in our evolution, we got these things from nature. So fat, we got from whole food fats like nuts, seeds, and avocado when they, when they were in. They, they were seasonal, in other words. We were nomadic. We weren't going to Costco and buying a three-pound bag of roasted salted nuts to get our ounce a day. So we, when we saw these high-calorie-dense foods, we forage on them because most of our ancestors didn't have enough calories to survive. So we have a preference for fat. And then I'm sure our ancestors got some fat from animal products, but they didn't eat them to the degree that we're eating them now. They certainly didn't eat, eat factory farmed animals or dairy products. They certainly didn't eat processed oil because they, they just there was no processing back then. So what I'm trying to say is if people like sugar, fat, salt, that's normal because you're genetically hardwired to yeah. the most concentrated source of calories for survival. We're, we have a preference for salt and sugar. We have taste buds on the tip of our tongue for both. And the thing is, is with salt, you know, we were able to get sodium from eating things like green vegetables. And mm -hmm. it, we, uh, the, the reason we prefer salt is it really was to prevent dehydration because we didn't always have, you know, clean water to drink. We didn't have water delivery like we did back then. So that, that was, so we needed salt. We needed sodium, at least as an essential nutrient. To retain water. Yeah, absolutely. And then the sweet was, so we knew if things were poisonous or not poisonous, because if we got a hold of some, some food or some berries and they weren't sweet, we knew they were probably not good or poisonous. But when the fruit was sweet, we knew it was safe to eat. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're genetically hardwired to prefer the taste of sugar, fat, and salt, but that's how it was in nature. But now it's not natural anymore. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of names for sugars that are, you know, things that, you know, that end in OSE that are manufactured in a lab, you know, agave, maple syrup, brown rice syrup, barley malt, uh, you know, there's all these uh, sugar analogs, 
that are zero calorie stevia, erythritol, xylitol, mannitol. So these are all man-made sweeteners, right? That where the fiber has been destroyed or removed. And so now it's much more calorically dense. You know, sugar cane, if you want to eat sugar cane, knock yourself out. It'd take you a month to get through a piece like this. But then they refine it and it's now 1800 calories a pound. Whereas like if you ate beets, for example, they'd be about 195 calories a pound and they'd have water and fiber and vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants and micronutrients. When you process, you know, whatever it is into sugar or flour, you get rid of all the essential components. So in terms of taste, it's it's not that hard, actually, believe it or not, to, to substitute sugar because we have nature's candy. We have fruit. Dates, for example, are like the sweetest thing in the world. It's your favorite. <laughs> and they're and they're not they're not low calorie. I mean, when you think about the fact that like berries and apples are two hundred calories a pound, dates are about thirteen hundred calories a pound. Still much better than sugar at eighteen hundred calories a pound, but at least they're a whole food with the fiber, the water, and the minerals and the vitamins. But they're really, really sweet. And there's nothing that anyone else can do with sugar that I can't do with dates. I was a pastry chef, executive vegan pastry chef at Sante Restaurant in Los Angeles for five years. I wrote a book called A Date with Dessert. So I can do anything with whole dates, date syrup or date paste, which is still only dates, that anybody can do with sugar. So there's really no need for sugar. And and so it's not such a missing for people when you can create your favorite, because I can make anything you want, German chocolate cake, cheesecake, using dates. So you're not going to really miss the fact that it's not white sugar and it's still going to be fairly calorically dense with with oil you know the high caloric density can still come from whole food plant fats nuts seeds and avocados so instead of using oil in baking for example i can use things like applesauce or bananas or pumpkin or prune puree uh, apple butter there's some a tofu for example so there's ways to to replace it in baking and, and with cooking it's really actually quite easy to saute without it but sometimes people miss the caloric density if they've been eating a lot of oil. So then again, whole food fats are the answer, nuts, seeds, avocado, any salad dressing you can make with oil, whether it's Caesar or ranch, I can make with nuts, nuts and seeds. It's yeah. just, it's, it's really easy. So oil and sugar, pretty easy. Salt is hard. And <laughs> nothing tastes like salt except salt. And, and it's not that it's hard completely. It just is going to take people some time because if you have been eating a whole, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't add salt to my food, but if they're eating a lot of processed food, like most Americans who eat, I think I read 67% of their calories and up from processed food, 92% from animal products and processed food. So when you're eating processed food, you're not even tasting the salt. So for example, if you were going to eat French fries or potato chips, they would taste salty because the salt is on the outside. You can see it and your tongue can taste it. But for example, bread has more sodium from salt than potato yep. chips because the processed food industry, they hide it in foods. And so you're not really tasting a salty food. So you're thinking, well, I'm not eating salt because maybe you're not adding it at the table. So there is a lot of salt, a lot of sodium in processed food. It could take a person up to 30 days to what we call neuroadapt to get used to a diet lower in sodium. But if people can do that, then eventually the food tastes, it starts tasting naturally salty. So when they eat things like greens, like rainbow char or or celery, they, they say, like, wow, this is really, really salty. But as long as you're assaulting, pun intended, your t- taste buds with a high amount of salt, you won't. But, you know, there's tips and tricks I can give people to make food taste good without salt. And, you know, I used to be an active, before I became a chef, I was an activity director of a retirement home and we were not allowed to use salt. I mean, I wasn't the chef, but the chef wasn't allowed to use salt. Mm. taught me like a lot of tricks. Like, Oh, wow. That's ahead of their time if there weren't, you know, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Because I remember this was in 2003 and I remember, um, 
Javier was his name. And, and some of the things he would do uh, for, for one reason were good for another reason. So for example, like if he was making guacamole, one of the things he would do is he would puree some lettuce. And one of the things it did is extended it because avocados were expensive, but it also gave it, you know, because the sodium in the greens, it also gave it a slightly salty taste. And one of the other things I learned is that our taste buds for salt sit next to our taste buds for sour. So to trick them, if you give yourself something sour, like for instance, if you're eating greens, put some lemon juice, lime juice, or vinegar on it so you don't have that missing. There are things like sun-dried tomatoes, for example. Yep. You can get sun-dried tomatoes that have, <laughs> excuse me. You can get things like sun-dried tomatoes that have nothing on them, no sulfites, no oil, no salt, and they usually come in three-ounce bags. Well, that was from a four-pound serving of tomatoes. So even though it's not salty, it's so concentrated that, that it gives things so much flavor. So there's ways to have flavor without salt. Fresh herbs, for example, are wonderful. And now it is so easy to get amazing salt-free blends at every spice store wherever you live, at least I can vouch for the, well, actually I can vouch for outside of the United States because I do a daily show called Chef AJ Live on YouTube. And my guest today was net from the Netherlands and she was telling me about all the salt-free seasoning she can buy there. But in the United States with the internet, it's very easy to have access to these, whether it's the Mrs. Dash from the regular grocery store, which be careful because some of them do have sugar, to all the wonderful spice stores that people have in various locations like Penzi's or Savory Spice or Local Spicery or, or you know, there's companies now like Dylan Holmes from Well Your World or Debbie Benson from Benson's Table Tasty. People are making lines of salt-free seasonings that are that are absolutely fantastic. So it, there there is a way to do it. it. It's just at first, it's difficult. One of the things I love to use is balsamic vinegars. That just they they are like magic. The, the, the good quality ones, like California balsamic, that are reduced to four percent from six percent. They come in a variety of flavors, and yeah, yeah. I mean, there's tips and tricks, but the thing is, is it yeah. does take time. Yeah, yeah, and we, and we do want to emphasize that you know it's not like an or nothing. You know, um, you know, when I counsel patients, it's really meeting them where they are. The most important thing is that for me is like I find, you know, if they're aware of it, they're aware of where their, you know, health status is, they want to make change and they're open to it, but they want to make baby steps, you know, and, you know, I try to emphasize, you know, we're going through a transition and I care more about progress over perfection. You know, so um, eventually we'll get to where you need to be, but you know, it's all about the baby steps. So it sounds like, you know, uh, you know, you're meeting clients where they are, you know, over time as you're either teaching a class or, you know, one-on-one. So yeah, a lot of times, like I always joke that I'm the, kind of the last stop on the train for most people. Most people that are like 20 with five extra pounds don't find me. It's usually people that have suffered a long time. And so they, yeah. they often need to take bigger steps to get the results because it's been so long in the pleasure. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. I just want to take a few moments of your time to talk to you about something. Something that I feel needs to give reflection and pause for. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know for me, I've been on the self-work journey for a decade now. And I remember in my personal experiences... Uh, through my doctor's journeys and also from traveling the world, 
I was always searching for the next step, or thinking that happiness was a destination. However, it's not. What I found instead was that life was a process, and learning about life was also a process and a practice, and that the state of happiness and the state of joy and contentment was also a practice. For those of you who don't know, since I don't share that much on my podcast, is that I actually battle with anxiety, OCD, and in the past episodes of depression. However, little by little, step by step, after seeking extra help, I've been able to achieve monumental things in my life that I've been eternally grateful for. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is a sponsor of this podcast. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. A couple of reviews. This is by. Rebecca Raymer, Becky has literally saved my life by truly understanding me. She has given me self-talk strategies and different thought pattern exercises that have made me stronger and a more aware person. I am so so grateful to have found her. I've been to so many different therapists, and none have helped me like Becky has. This is another review for Adam Johnson. I've had counselors before, both on BetterHelp and in person through work. And Adam, by far, is the best counselor I've ever talked with. I feel like he actually listens to and what is going on. He asks questions to help you navigate your thoughts, and you can tell that he is listening and wants you to help you. Visit BetterHelp.com/forward/slash/theChefDoc. That's Better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1.4 million people taking charge of their mental state with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Thrive Bite listeners: get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com/forward/slash/theChefDoc. T H E C H E F D O C. Thank you for listening, guys, and back to the episode. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. That actually reminds me of my own mother. She's a Chinese medical doctor. I, I, I think I shared uh, with you uh, uh, off camera before, and she's the, like the last resort. You know,、uh, a lot of her patients have gone to so many different doctors' doorsteps before ultimately reaching her. So, so yeah, I, I understand that notion, and it's the their pain points of. You know, not having a solution, and so like what you're offering them is like, hey, you know, this is what I've gone through. This is what I've studied and learned, and this can this this can help you as well. So, but at the same time, as long as they could put in the work、um, and to you know get to where they need to be. So,、um, so my next question is is that. Uh, you know, more in our current context,、uh, bringing it to the beginning of the pandemic, have you learned anything in terms of
uh, how you became more resilient, you know, because I think um, I've been, you know, talking about this a lot, how, you know, it's unfortunate how a virus can unite humanity, right? Um, but it also teaches us learning how to pivot or learning to how to be more resilient. So since the pandemic, have you, you know, learned anything about uh, how to increase one's, you know, resilience um, within yourself? Yeah, well, I, I know how to do it within myself. I don't know if I can help others do it other than to, you know, say, saying my mom always said when life gives you lemons make lemonade and the minute the pandemic started i looked for what i could do what what good i could find i remember i i'm one of those uh, eternal optimists i remember i was four years old and my bubby my great grandmother who had diabetes had her legs amputated i remember mm. being in the nursing home and it was you know kind of shocking and and i wasn't trying to be facetious or funny at the age of four but i remember saying well you know don't have to shave your legs now. I, I always try to look for like, what's good about this. And since, you know, I remember when the pandemic started, or at least the day that our governor said we had to shelter in place, I believe it was March 19th, 2020. I mean, I'm not going to change policy, like, but if I can that quickly. So I just accepted what is and I'm like, well, what can I do? You know, my job was basically speaking at conferences. That's how I made my living. I would travel almost every week to different spa or resort or a cruise or a medical conference. And that was my job. Well, I knew that wasn't going to be happening because everything got canceled. So we moved our business online and we found it was not only like more enjoyable for me not having to get on a plane every week, but then I was able to reach many more people because, you know, there are people all over the world that can work with me virtually that really probably aren't going to come to a conference. And as wonderful as those conferences are, meeting 200 to maybe 500 people, I can meet thousands of people in the way that I'm doing business now. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I did, and I was really not even like, I, I, when I, when I say this, I'm on YouTube, but I don't consider myself a YouTuber. Like I, mm. that's not what I write on my income taxes. My job is influencer. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always had a YouTube, not always, but for the last 10 years, I had a YouTube channel mostly putting up a recipe a week. And when the pandemic started, I started going live, not realizing I was going live on YouTube and Facebook. I thought I was going live to just a private group and then people were watching and more. And, and so more and more people were watching and it turned into really the joy of my life doing a daily show where now, again, I'm meeting people that I would honestly would never meet because they're contacting me from countries that I realistically didn't think I was probably ever going to get to. And now I can have them on my show and then they can influence more people because who knows, like today was Netherlands, yesterday was Belgium. Who knows where these plant eaters are that are looking for somebody in their country or their community. So right. it's, it's been wonderful. So, and also the, the thing about the pandemic that's been kind of cool is it just reinforced something that I really always teach, which is preparedness. And I don't mean necessarily preparedness for an earthquake, which by the way, I think is important. Mm -hmm. Really funny because just because I, I love learning, a couple of weeks before the pandemic, I took a, a certification class, like an emergency class, like in my community, just, you know, like they taught us basic first aid and how to, you know, just, gotcha. I just wanted to be part of my community. And it took this, it was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday class. So I had learned a lot. And so when the pandemic came, it was like, I 
didn't have a lot to do. I was kind of prepared. I had my rice, you know, I had my beans, I had my flash. I mean, you know, I had all the water because I was basically doing what I learned in the class. And the only thing I think additional we did out of that initial fear is we went to Costco and got, you know, one of, you know, those 50 pound bags of rice, which we still have, by the way. Oh, I thought you were going to say toilet paper. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was sold out at the beginning. We were able to get the rice. And, and, you know, and I always say, and I'm looking at a sign right here of a batch cooking class, success class I teach, being prepared is just, you know, preparation trumps motivation all the time. And so I've always been a big believer in batch cooking, even if somebody really isn't on a healthy diet, like it's just so much easier to, to have things ready. It makes life a lot easier. And so the pandemic just kind of sh shined the light on things I already knew that, you know, and, and also what what's important because, you know, like, you realize what you can live without and what you can't and not that friends aren't important, but like, you know, I understand like there are probably people that were sequestered, like living all alone. And I feel for them. That's one of the reasons I did the show, but you know, with, with my little hug, little dog and my husband, I mean, we're introverts. We, you know, we were fine. And, and, and the thing is, is you will be fine and things will open up again. And so just, I think so many people just freaked out, which I understand on one level, but so many other people just rose to the occasion and used that time that instead of like being upset and eating and gaining weight, they use that time like, wow, I don't have this two hour commute anymore. Yes. I can actually exercise. I can actually batch cook. I actually can get to bed on time. So some people really looked for the gift in it. And that's kind of how, you know, um, it's an old story. It was this, this little boy and I, I don't want to, I'm going to tell it wrong, but, but there was this, uh, there's all this horse poop around and he's like, well, yeah. all this poop in here, there must be a pony somewhere. And that's kind of how it, with the pandemic, you know, look for the gift because it's, it, the, it, that's how I looked at it. So yeah. It, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, if I'm more of a silver linings you know, type of person, and I think it presents an opportunity to go deeper within yourself, self-reflect. And, you know, if you were sequestered with, you know, a, a significant other or family, it teaches you to, you know, even learn different communication styles and learning how to reinforce those relationships. Because at the end of the day, there is a, um, you know, a Harvard researcher, um, you know, over a 75, 80 year old uh, study that said one, you know, the main keys to happiness was your relationship. And that could, that, that applies to every relationship, you know? Um, so I think it was a great thing. You know, thank you so much for sharing that inspirational note. So um, I would love to close out, um, you know, this is uh, called Thrive Bites for a reason. And I love asking my guests, how do they personally thrive? And so, you know, we've gotten, you know, little nuggets, you know, throughout the session. Um, any other ways that Chef AJ personally thrives herself or, you know, any things that we may not have known about that she adds to her repertoire of, you know, getting her to a certain state of thriving? Yeah, I think self-care and people a lot of times think self-care is selfish, but I think of self-care as healthcare. And for years I put everyone first. And the problem with putting yourself last is you can't really give from an empty cup. And I'm a big fan of volunteer work. I, up until the pandemic, I was volunteering three days a week, one day to hospital, one day to school and one day to library. And, you know, and I was burning the candle at both ends and not to say I'm not going to volunteer again, but I think you have to take care of your own needs first. It's sort of like when the airplane, the, the uh, flight attendant tells you that if there's a drop in a cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will drop, put it on your nose and mouth before your kid. Yep. Sort of like that. And I realized that without self-care, I'm not good to anybody. That's why I'm, you know, if I don't 
get my like my minimum daily requirement of self-care, if you will, which is adequate sleep. I can't my sleep can't you can't go on a sleep debt for very long. I mean, I guess you can do it occasionally if you have a trip or a test to study for. But I, I never realized until I got older how important sleep was, you know, and especially for a person that's caffeine free that can't like use the caffeine to artificially wake myself up. You've got to get adequate sleep in life. And so going to bed at a, at, on time is just, it's just, it's a non-negotiable now. Like people say, well, can't you, you know, talk or come? No, like sleep is medicine. It really yeah. is. And, and so, so things like that, like making certain things non-negotiable exercise has to be non-negotiable. I listen, I wish there was a way to not exercise. I really would. If I could pay, if I could have like a superpower, I'd pay somebody to pee for me and to exercise. (laughs) (laughs) And both of these are just annoyances that take up too much time in my day, but I understand that it's not possible. And I didn't exercise till I was in my fifties and I, and I didn't exercise to lose weight, by the way, I didn't start exercising until I was already slender, but for mental health, especially in this day and age, for, yeah. for better sleep. But, you know, everything I'm learning from the Shure's eyes, the neurologist about preventing Alzheimer's and those long muscles in the leg, it's, it's, it's just, it has to be non-negotiable. I could probably count on one hand the times in a year that I didn't exercise, you know, it was probably because I had an early morning something or, or didn't exercise first thing in the morning. But you've, you've got to do these things first. You can't just put, the more you put things off, the more you're, you're likely not to do them. So, so, you know, diet, sleep and exercise, and of course, stress management. But see, when you eat a health promoting diet without processed food and alcohol and coffee and stimulants, and, and when you exercise, you just sleep better. And so if they're all, you know, it's people tend to do one thing, like you got these people that are really, really fit. They don't think much about what they're putting in their body. And then you got these people that eat perfectly and then they don't exercise or, you know, they might have like one legs of the stool, you know, a stool has four legs, diet, sleep, exercise, stress management, or, you know, you can have a fifth leg, you know, the human connectivity, it's the pillars of lifestyle medicine. But if you take one leg off a stool, the stool falls down. So it doesn't matter how strong the other three legs are. And so people need to learn that it's not selfish to put yourself first in, in a, in a self-care manner where, you know, and then things, when you do that, you model it for your friends and family. And that's, I think it's especially important to model if you have children, but I would say what you eat matters, just like what you eat matters, whether or not you sleep matters. And, you know, it's just, it's just lifestyle medicine at its core. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And, um, you know, the, the, I totally agree with you, you know, it can be seen as selfish and, you know, it is one of my favorite analogies like you, you know, for that oxygen mass to come down. And, um, it just teaches us that, you know, at the end of the day, as much as we want to give and overgive and, you know, be there for every single body, um, you, it really needs to come from you. And by coming from you, it is leading by example, you're showing up for people, you're role modeling that, you know, I do value myself first, you know, I'm saying whether it's the quality of food that you put in your mouth, whether how well we move, um, whether it's, you know, maintaining those set of, you know, uh, self-limiting beliefs or positive thinking, you know what I'm saying? So um, any, my last question to you is that, can you give us three quick tips? Uh, you really harp on, you know, preparedness. So in terms of culinary preparedness, you know, can you offer any audience like three quick, quick tips that they could start getting implemented today? Well, I, you know, the first thing that came to mind was an instant pot because most people say they can't eat healthy because they don't have enough money or enough time. If you have an instant pot, you will have plenty of time because things that would take you really long to do conventionally will take minutes. For example, steel cut oats an hour on the stove, five minutes in the instant pot. 
corn on the cob, zero minutes in the instant pot, soups, stews, chilies, you know, things like that. So getting a tool like an instant pot, which I've seen as low as $39, you don't have to get like the, you know, the 20 quart that can really help you get healthy meals on the table quickly. And with the time you save, because you don't have to babysit it like you do a stove, you could be doing your exercise or there you go your dog or just snuggling your puppy or, or things like that. So I think that's really, really helpful at, and, to, and to batch cook. You know, it, it doesn't make sense if you're going to have a, a baked potato to cook one. It makes no sense. Even if you're a single person, batch cook. It, it takes the same amount of energy. It's not any more difficult. And most things can be frozen, by the way. And it's just when you have healthy food ready and that's all you have, guess what? You're going to eat it. And I would say, you know, having a clean environment and that, that not just the mental environment, you know, and not being in, I, I should talk now. My room's probably messy. So <laughs> but, we don't see it. It's okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. But if you're, if you're trying to get healthy and especially if you're trying to lose weight, don't have the kind of foods in your environment that are going to make it so hard for you to stay on plan because like we said earlier in this conversation, you're genetically hardwired to prefer sugar, fat, and salt, high calorie foods for survival. If they're in your house, you're going to eat them. I always say if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. So having a clean environment, this one and the one that you live in, it's really important, I think, and critical to your success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, for those of us um, that want to learn more about you, what are the best ways to learn more about you or to reach uh, reach out to you? You can find me, like, unless something changes, every single day at 11 a.m. Pacific time on YouTube where I broadcast a live show called Chef AJ Live. And my website is my name, chefaj.com. So I, you know, I have books and classes and things like that. But like, if you just want to talk to me, come watch the live show because we have a little chat box going on. So even though the guest is cooking over there, I'm typing like, Hey, how you doing? You got <laughs> kind of fun. It's like, it's like two shows at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Because it, like you said, you know, we had to pivot and, you know, reposition ourselves to stay in contact with people. And it, at the end of the day, it's about connection, right? Connection with our food, but also connection with each other. So uh, Chef AJ, thank you so much for being here with us on the Thrive Bites podcast. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I really greatly value, you know, the person you are, the journey you've traversed, and, you know, everything that you continue to teach and inspire others with. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening and watching to this, another episode of Thrive Bites, and we will see you in the next one. Please say goodbye to Chef AJ. <laughs>